Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It is my great joy and privilege to welcome as our guest today, a friend and a mentor of mine, Chris Conrad. Chris is the regional superintendent of the Great Lakes region of the Wesleyan Church, which means that he has the responsibility and the gift of overseeing over 170 leaders and congregations in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a huge privilege to be with you, Steve. I'm a huge fan of yours. Obviously a huge fan of Winning at Home, uh, Dan Seaborn and the whole group, Peter Newhouse, the whole group. I'm just a huge fan of of what this organization does. And Steve, I'm so glad that you're there. And it's just an incredible privilege and an honor for me to be with you today. It really, really is. So thanks for our friendship and thanks for the invitation. Thanks so much, Chris. I, I know I told you this before, but uh, you kind of you kind of found me when I was was unemployed, right in the middle of COVID. And I one of the one of the prayers that I had prayed was, Lord, I, I love to preach. I feel called to preach, and you very graciously were an answer to prayer in my life and gave me opportunities to speak at at a handful of different churches in the GLR that were in transition. And yep. Chris, you've seen some ch- churches help enter transition that was anticipated and seeing them navigate that in a way that was healthy. Um, you also have the very, wouldn't call it, don't want to be melodramatic, but you do have the grave responsibility of helping walk churches who are going through unexpected, uncomfortable, and and sometimes very painful transitions as well. What's it like to wear that mantle, Chris? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, and it takes a whole lot of desire to get on your knees and pray and ask Holy Spirit to guide and direct and lead you. Uh, you know, whenever um, a, a godly person, whenever a leader um, either trips or, quite frankly, um, falls, um, there is a, uh, immediately, there's a need for Holy Spirit to come in because there's trauma. And we'll talk a little bit about that, perhaps, Steve, about what that's like from a congregant's standpoint. Everyone is feeling that trauma. The leader is feeling that trauma. The leader's family is feeling that trauma. Obviously, the congregation is feeling that trauma. The staff of the church, if there's a if there's a staff, then they're feeling that trauma. And I'll tell you that, uh, unfortunately, uh, I've been in this position now for 12 years. I've seen transitions that were not planned uh, happen because of uh, obviously moral issues. Uh, someone sleeps in the wrong bed uh, or goes down a road that they shouldn't have gone down uh, in a relationship with someone. I've also seen it because of competency issues. Sometimes it's character, sometimes it's competency. And I have to tell you that in both instances, you would think, well, you know, if it's a character issue, then man, everyone's in trauma. Well, I'll tell you, in competency issues, it's just as true, Steve. Someone has overshot their ability. They're in a lane that they probably should not have been in. And their incompetency in some way, shape, or form rises to the surface, and they are either "quote unquote" voted out, or they they leave their church in a bit of disgrace because of something that's happened. There's trauma, and again, there's trauma for the pastor, there's trauma for the staff, there's trauma for the congregation. So whether it's character or competency, I'll tell you, it leads to that same style, that same feeling of trauma. And the key then is how do we navigate that well, and how does Holy Spirit help us? So when I when I walk into that. Uh, man, I am prayed up and asking Holy Spirit to give us all that he could possibly give us during that time. Chris, I've seen you handle this very, very deftly, very carefully, uh, very compassionately, where you need to speak a hard truth to a congregation and do it in such a manner that that honors 
uh, both the the victims and also protects the I guess we'll call them the the perpetrator from un, unnecessary or added shame. Chris, when you when you make an initial announcement to a congregation that a leader is being transitioned. Yep. as a result of a, either a character or a competence failure, how, how have you done that in the past, Chris, that yeah. has protected both recipients of harm and the instigator of harm? Yeah, well, I will tell you, Steve, that a, a key aspect of that is, quite frankly, the repentance level of the leader who's going through it. Now, you would say, how does that really answer that question? Well, I'll tell you, if the individual is truly repentant, then it allows me um, to talk a little bit more about the situation. Um, and obviously, my heart and spirit is to be transparent. I want to be able, I don't, people don't need to know the gory details of everything. Nobody needs to know that. I don't even want to know that. Sometimes I have to know that. But the people don't need to know all the gory details. They just need to know that a line was crossed. Um, a line that should not have been crossed but a line was crossed. Either again, in character or in competency, a line was crossed. And because of that, a move had to be made. A shift needed to happen. And so my goal in my heart when I'm communicating that to a congregation is to do my best to make sure that we're not condemning someone. You know, when Jesus is dealing with the woman who's caught in adultery, and you know, Steve, you're a better communicator than I am, you know, when, when that is preached about, when that's talked about, any decent, I think, work, preaching work around that subject is, where the heck is the guy? You know, we all understand that there had to be a guy involved in this whole thing, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Jesus to show that he's soft on sin. And what he did, of course, is he said, those of you who are without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And all they end up having to leave, everybody leaves. And Jesus looks around. Of course, he's drawing something in the sand, and scholars have wondered for thousands of years, what did he draw in the sand? But then he finally looks up at this, this woman, and he says, is anyone left to condemn you? And she goes, no. And he says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And I think there's a desire on my part not to condemn. There's no need to condemn someone at that point. A, I don't think it's biblical. And B, I don't think it's helpful. Um, I think we need to show grace. But I do think in showing grace that we have to be transparent. We have to say what happened, and we have to say there is grace for all of us, and we're thankful for God's grace. I think if we don't do one of those two things, we end up in we end up in a ditch. If if I don't say what happened, uh, if I don't say, for instance, uh, this person embezzled funds or this person uh, had an inappropriate relationship. Uh, with someone of the opposite sex or whatever it is. If I don't say something that happened, then there's all kinds of rumors that can that can flow. That's not fair necessarily. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that to the individual. And I've learned that over the years. Uh, I'll tell you, Steve, unfortunately, I've gotten better at this over the last 12 years. And it's not something I, I wish I was good at. And I'm not saying I'm great at it now, but I'm saying in the early years, I really tried to protect some people. But what I found is, is that then the rumor mill went out and even worse things were speculated than what actually happened. So because of that, I now these days try to be very clear, this is what happened. Adultery was committed or again, embezzlement or uh, incompetence at the staff level of whatever it might have been, uh, abuse at the staff level, that kind of thing. I'll say those kinds of things, but then, then I immediately say, and we want to offer grace. And these are the ways that we have offered grace. We are 
helping the individual who's been removed with a, a severance package that's not extravagant, but we're trying to help them get on their feet again. We're offering counseling to everyone involved to try and help them. And so what I want to do in that space, in that time when I'm communicating to the congregation, I want to be as transparent as possible, and I want to be full of grace as possible, because I find that those are the things that people are wanting to see in that time. Um, and I'll add one last thing, and, and maybe this would, would have been better for later, but I'll tell you this. I also want to communicate to the congregation that there's hope for their future. The day is not done. Uh, God still has great things in store for this congregation. Let's not give up on God working in this congregation going into the future. So, Chris, what do you say to congregants who say, hey, everybody makes mistakes. They seem repentant. God forgives. Why don't, why don't we just give them like a, a two-week break and put them back in the saddle? What do you say there? My heart to that is a couple of things. Number one, Scripture makes it really clear that those who are in positions of leadership are held to a higher standard. Steve, you and I, I'll just say for me, because I don't want to project anything on anyone else. You know, often I will look at a congregant who's going through a, a situation and I'll say, you know, the difference between you and I is just that um, when you face the Lord Jesus that day on, uh, on Judgment Day, I'm not worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to come into heaven. I have assurance of my salvation. I'm grateful for that. But I do know that as a leader, I'm going to be held to a higher, stricter judgment than you will be. And because of the Bible makes that clear. And because of that, um, I go to bed when I put my head down on a, on a pillow at night, I recognize, Chris, you better live a life above reproach because there's going to be a day when you're going to have to give an account. And so what I say to a congregant who says, oh, can't we just give them like two weeks off and they're back in the saddle again, they're back preaching again? I would say, first of all, number one, they're held to a higher standard than a, a congregational member. And number two, someone doesn't sin or mess up. Someone doesn't get, someone doesn't become incompetent. Someone doesn't have a character or moral failure in a day. It is a season. It's always a period of time. There's a popular song out. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a period of time. And that has to be addressed over a period of time. In my opinion, Let's just say, for instance, let's, let's bring, you know, this kind of scenario. So a pastor uh, is married and their spouse has an affair. They're not the ones who have the affair. The, the spouse has the affair. I still say that that person who is, um, who's kind of left in, I think they should not preach for a good long while. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I think in a good long while, what, what do I mean by that? Well, I don't want to necessarily dictate with that, but three to six months? Well, Chris, why in the world would you say that? Well, because there is an incredible amount of pain and hurt that they need to work through, that they need to navigate before they're put back in the, in the, in the pulpit again. And in my opinion, I think they've got to think through and work through with a really good Christian counselor, the trauma of what they're going through. And if they don't work out that trauma over a period of time, then I guarantee you five years from now, they'll look back and they'll, they'll see it in their preaching. They right. will see how they were medicating through their preaching. Preachers, if they're not careful, medicate themselves to their preaching. As, a, oh, sure. as someone who is a, a preacher of a local church, a pastor of a local church, 
unfortunately, I saw how I did that uh, during unhealthy periods of my life. And that just happens. And so I don't want that. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't do any ministry. I'm not saying that they have to sit on the sidelines. Absolutely can't do any ministry for six months. But I am saying that I want them to take a good solid period of time to get healthy again, to allow Holy Spirit to bring healing to them again, to navigate the things they need to navigate um, during that time. And if they are the person um, who was in an affair, if it's not their spouse, but them, then even more still, oh my goodness. And they've really got to work through what were the things at play that caused them. It's not just the event. It's not just the fact that they slept in the wrong bed. What caused them to get to that point in the first place? Um, and to work that out and to try and restore a relationship, that needs to be their focus. The last thing I'll say about that, Steve, is, is that, you know, for those of us who know our Old Testament, we might remember that God said, hey, if a person gets married, they don't have to go to war for a year. We're just going to let them like enjoy marriage and uh, let's just be frank, enjoy sex, enjoy intimacy for a year. They just get to enjoy being married for the first year, right? That's just their thing. Well, how much more true should it be that if a marriage ends up going through the trauma of adultery or something like that happens, how much more so is it that a person needs an extended period of time to work through the things that were going on in their marriage before they're put back into a week-to-week preaching schedule again. That's my heart. Chris, I'm so grateful for your holistic approach to families and marriages who are experiencing heartache and disappointment and betrayal, not not just to try to figure out how to get the church back on track, but try, try to figure out how to get the individuals and the family back on track. So, so you mentioned, hey, what do you do with people who are like, hey, you're being too harsh. Let's just let this ride. On the other extreme, there are some people, and I probably see this more in maybe church staff or fellow pastors who are like, dude, you broke the code. You you undermine the gospel, the credibility of the church, the credibility of the denomination. You made the rest of us who are towing the line and doing our best to follow Jesus, even when it's hard. And even when we get tempted, what, what do you say to the other people who are like, you're, you're, you're dead to me. Like, give us your card and we're going to burn it. Cause you'll, you'll never not just preach in this town. You'll never preach in any town again. What, yeah. what do you say to those people? I would say, you know what you end up reaping what you sow. If you're not careful, if you have a militant or what I would call a bit of a hard heartedness towards someone else, there will be a time when you're in need of grace, when the people around you won't offer it. I'm not young. I'm not old. I'm 56 years old. Uh, some people would call me ancient, which is totally okay. But I, you know, over time, Steve, I've seen where people who are militant in the way that they treat others, it ends coming back around. The scripture says you end up reaping what you sow. If I so a condemning um, mindset and heart and spirit eventually is going to come back. And then uh, that's what I would say. But hey, let's let's look at scripture. Oh, my goodness. David is called a man after God's own heart. And he has this whole issue with Bathsheba. One of the guys who's closest to Jesus deny him. All of his disciples flee. They, you know, they all take off. And how does Jesus treat them? You know, there's a love that he shows towards them. What I care about most is the person's heart and spirit. As far as, you know, do they have a Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That's what we need to be looking for and looking towards. And so for those who would condemn someone and vote them off the island permanently, I would say, you know what? I don't think that you want every minute of your life portrayed on a giant screen for everyone to see. 
chances are you've had some moments that are a bit embarrassing. You've had some moments. Now, we're not saying that what you've done is the exact same sin as what this other person has done, but we are saying that we're all in need of grace. Chris Conrad certainly is. Man, I need grace. I think that's what we want to offer other people. Yeah. Chris, how does your tone differ with leaders who are immediately repentant and leaders who are not? Here's the deal. I, I think I've come to the place where I finally learned I can't force a person to be repentant. Hmm. Either they're going to be or they aren't. And sometimes people are repentant, but they're not repentant at first. Sometimes there's a lag between, you know, at first they're found out or it comes out, whatever. I don't even want to put a date to it, but the first 30 days, the first 60 days, the first 90 days or whatever, they're just militant. They're the victim. How dare you, you know, do anything? And then finally they get six months down the road and they realize, oh my goodness, yes. I realize I've just, I haven't had a broken a contract spirit about this. To answer your question outright, Steve, I think that my heart and my spirit is, is that when I see a person who's truly repentant and truly contrite, then that person tends to be really condemning of themselves if they're not careful. And they think my whole world is going to be gone forever. I'll never be able to do anything again ever. And my heart and spirit towards them is, is one of encouragement and love. And just to say, hey, you've got a road ahead of you, a road of recovery ahead of you. But God's going to do some wonderful healing in your life. And it's going to be, it's going to be awesome to see. When someone is uh, mad at me or mad at, you know, at the situation and they're just, they refuse to really show any kind of contrite or broken or, you know, it's just any kind of repentance whatsoever. Then my posture towards them is, I'm sorry. I love you very much. I, I understand that you disagree with this. I, I understand that. Um, and please know that I will answer to God someday for doing this. Uh, if I'm the one that's asked you to step down, then I know I will answer to God for that. And I don't take that lightly. I will tell you that before God, this is what I feel like I have to do. And it's your move now to decide how you're going to respond. Um, and I, I can't dictate that. That's going to be between you and the Lord. Um, but whenever you're ready to talk more about it, I'm here to talk more about it. And I love you. And I want you ultimately to succeed and win. And, uh, and for God to to do some awesome things in your life and for you to flourish long-term. So I, I don't, I don't try and make them repent. I allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And I tell them I'm always here for you whenever you want to talk, but this is a decision that we're making. And this is the road that we're going to go down. Yeah. It's a beautiful posture. Thank you, Chris. I, I would say probably five, 10 years ago, certainly when I was growing up, if there was an issue where a congregant, was concerned about the behavior of a pastor, it seemed like the tie would often go to the pastor. There, there was just, there was just something in the groundwater that, that yep. defended and rallied around and, and protected clergy. And I'm not saying that that was healthy and right. There's been, a, there's been a lot of pain and trauma that has come from that. We're, we're in a new cultural moment. That ain't sure. the culture anymore, is it? That ain't the No, <laughs> no. And I think, I think that the me too and church too have been yep. a great gift to, to victims who have been, yep deeply Absolutely. wounded and harmed. And Absolutely. the podcasts like Rise and Fall of Mars Hill yep. have been really helpful for a generation that's trying to yep. process this. The, the Baptist church has had their own moment of reckoning with yep. how they, they have failed to deal with allegations of abuse. Well, Chris, yep. how is this unique cultural moment shaping the way that churches can and should deal with um, the possibility of impropriety or accusations of impropriety? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that is really, really important and is 
um, for people who who are not directly impacted by the situation. Um, those aren't the ones that should be dealing with uh, finding out the facts. Okay. Uh, in other words, we've got to bring an impartial party in. Um, I think even and um, you know I, I and I don't want to get you. You mentioned Mars Hill. You know another one, of course, is Willow. Um, Willow eventually, their board of elders eventually had a group of I think it was four or five individuals. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Dr. Joanne Lyon was one of those four or five individuals who actually did their own quote unquote independent investigation and then came back and reported it. Um, and by the way, Joanne Lyon didn't tell me a thing during that whole time, they were sworn in secrecy. But I'm just saying, I think you need that independent group. Now they, they might be involved in the church, maybe, but uh, it's always better if you can have at least some outside people who are, who are discerning. Oh my goodness, don't just pick anybody. You've got to have spiritually mature and discerning individuals who are not on a witch hunt, but who are discerning enough that they're willing to go into the situation and discern what truly really happened and what are some best next steps as a result of that. Um, and, and I think what happens is you're, you're absolutely right, Steve, in today's culture, sometimes we are really quick. We rush to accuse someone of something um, when nothing is nothing has actually happened or the person made an honest mistake and that is dealt with. But you don't have to fight this with a bazooka. Like, let's figure out what really happened and let's do our best to uh, respond appropriately. But many times that's got to happen by someone from the outside who's, again, got capital D discernment and someone who's got a lot of spiritual maturity, those types of folks I think need to be brought in. And I think too often that doesn't happen. I think too often it's left to the board of elders or whoever it might be. And uh, I love boards of elders. I work with them every day. I'm simply saying they're not always equipped. They are equipped to govern the body. They're not necessarily equipped to navigate um, an accusation that might've come forward or you know tensions between individuals. That is the role that that this other group needs to have and um and needs to be populated again with people that are discerning and spiritually mature so chris you mentioned the investigation that joanne was a part of and if i read that report correctly there were certain allegations that could not be independently verified yep. by that board but yep. what they were able to discern was that there was an overarching pattern there was yep. there there was repeated incidents of arrogance and misuse yep. of pastoral power yeah so, Chris, what do you what do you say to boards who want to support their pastor, encourage their pastor, but also hold their pastor accountable? What what do they do if they see some things that aren't officially wrong, but yeah. look a little bit wobbly? What yeah. what's what's the responsibility of a staff member or a board member at that point? Well, I think uh, first, it's one of the things, Steve, um, that I personally just got done uh, having done on me is a three sixty, a three sixty review, and man, am I so glad I did it! I love learning how I'm coming across. I think it was Andy Stanley who made uh, this phrase popular. I'm sorry if it was someone else and I'm I'm giving Andy credit, but what is it like to be on the other side of me? I just think that is so helpful. It's so healthy uh, for people to, to go through on a, on a fairly regular basis. And so when you're when you're in a senior pastor position or or you're in a position of power and authority over, 
over other people. So if a board member uh, senses that, you know what, I, I just hear this rumbling, there's just a bit of a rumbling, or we've had a number of people leave uh, our staff, and it, I'm not sure all that's going on there. I just think sometimes the 360 might be helpful uh, in that kind of situation. So if I'm a board member, again, I'm not going out on a witch hunt, I, and that's on my spirit, it's on my heart, just to say, hey, could we help our pastor become more aware? Chris Conrad, in my position, I want to become more aware. If there's something I'm doing that's hindering our organization, any good leader wants to be made aware of that. So you can get better as a leader. We've got a mission to accomplish together. Um, and if I, if something I'm doing is hindering that mission, I want to know that so that I stop hindering it. You know, one of the things that is, for, I'll just give you a really uh, simple one from mine. And that is, is that I, as you can all probably tell, I'm a fairly passionate person. Um, well, that passion is great when it comes to the mission that we're on. But if I'm passionate, sometimes I'm passionate about something and I'm in a conversation with someone and I come across really passionate. And if I'm not careful, that person feels like I'm being intense towards them. That's nothing to do with you. I'm not being intense right. towards you. I'm being passionate about our mission. And that really helped me. Oh my goodness. When I, when I, as a matter of fact, the whole reason we did a 360 is because I was in a couple of conversations where I sensed staff members like freaking out because of my passion. I just said, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm not mad at you. Like, I, I don't want you to freak out. We obviously, I, I need to know if this is system-wide. I need to know if other people are experiencing this. And so I self-initiated a 360 so I could learn more about myself so that I didn't. And one of the things I did learn is that everyone, it doesn't happen all the time, Chris, but every once in a while, your passion comes across as intensity when you're in a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two -on -two conversation. And when that happens, you just got to dial down your passion, bro. That's just so that the people in the room aren't whatever. So I think if I'm a board member, I think if I'm a staff member, first of all, if, I, if I'm a staff member, that's a lot trickier, I think, Steve. I think what I do is that I try and have a conversation with my senior pastor about something. And I try and have it with them a couple of different times. And if it goes nowhere, um, then at that point, I think I need to begin to ask myself, okay, um, am, to be frank, to be honest, am I willing to be fired over this? Um, because I think depending on the polity of the church that I'm in, depending on the governing body and all that kind of stuff, I might feel like I need, if this is something I feel like I need to go to a board member on, then maybe I go to that board member. And it's obviously if it's something moral, something that, of course I'm gonna to go to a board member at that point. But if it's more of a nuance, like I just sense that the senior pastor is a bully or whatever, whatever the case might be, or they're flirtatious or they're this or they're that. If I go to a board member, it might come back and bite me. Even if I'm right, it might come back and bite me. And I have to ask myself the, the hard questions. I'll tell you, Steve, some of the most courageous people I know are people that have had, that have been willing to go to a board member and say, I just think you guys need to maybe do a 360 or maybe think about uh, talking to our senior pastor about that. But but I think, again, we do it in humility. The way that we come across, I think when we, when we go to someone and say, look, I know I've got my own issues. I know I've got my own junk. I'm very willing to talk about that. Can we talk about how I see you uh, in this area or how you come across to me in this area? Or can we talk about some areas of concern that I might have? And if we have that kind of tone and tenor, it's not always going to work, 
but again, I think that's where we start. We start with a, a, a spirit and attitude of humility. Um, and, you know, we've done, we've read Gene Edwards' book, The Three Kings, and we understand how dare I raise my hand against God's anointed. But that doesn't mean we never say anything. That means we have the proper attitude and spirit when, when something is said. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I love that you brought up David because the, the one sin that everybody likes to talk about is David's private sin. There's been a lot of sermons about David and Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. The one, the other sin is David has a pretty public sin that has more significantly more far reaching consequences. And that's when he takes the census of the fighting yeah. men of Israel and his yeah. right-hand man, Joab is like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> Please don't do this. Uh, David Jeez, doesn't listen to him right now, <laughs> but but David does it anyway. And when he sinned against Uriah, it had a direct impact on his family and, and Uriah's family. But when he when he messed up on the census, there were tens of thousands of people who lost their lives as a result yep. of his disobedience. Yep. So sometimes we think, well, adultery is the worst thing you can do. It, it dishonors God. It dishonors marriages. Of course, it's horrific and unacceptable. But the sin of power, the sin yep. of unchecked ambition, which James yep. calls demonic, right. is also something that we need to have on our on our radars as well. So I, I'm so glad that you are giving people both tools and permission to be able to say, obviously, if somebody's going to try to start an affair, we need to intervene. But if somebody's going to try to take a census, we need to intervene there too. Absolutely all day long. And we have to do that. Again, we do it with humility and, you know, we do it with a realization of our own sin, but, but we're willing to go down that road and have those conversations. Yeah, I think so. La last question. Uh, the show is called hope through hard stuff. Chris, just, just briefly, where have you seen God bring beauty out of the ashes in a church that experienced a, a trauma like the ones we've been talking about? Yeah, well, you know, the blessing of being in this position for 12 years is that I've seen churches go through. I'm very aware of, I'll just talk about one church right now, and bless their hearts, they've, they've gone through two different adultery situations in the senior pastor role. They've gone through incompetency in the senior pastor role, and yet... Um, you know, that church today is going really well and it's thriving and God is doing some really cool things in their midst. Um, and they continue to make a significant impact in their community. Praise be to God. And I think, um, I just feel in my spirit, Steve, that I'm supposed to say this. You know, if I'm a congregant, I'm walking through a situation where my pastor is being removed for whatever reason. I need to honor the fact of my own spirit and soul that that's trauma for me. I need to work that through with Holy Spirit. I need to ask Holy Spirit to guard my heart. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to give up on God. And I don't want to give up on faith. And like my good friend Ed Stetzer says, we can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You know, what happens way too often is that a leader falls or a leader fails. And then, um, and, and then a congregant says, okay, that's it. I'm never going back to church again. I'm done with church. Well, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. So I just want to encourage you, work through your trauma. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his surgery inside of you. Don't allow there to be a root of bitterness, please, because then the enemy is won. Oh, my goodness. Don't let the enemy win. Dang it. Don't let him win. Allow yourself to go through the healing process and then be part of the solution. Could you, would you answer an invitation by Holy Spirit to be part of the solution and part of the sense of hope and expectation of that of that local church going forward. And over the years, I've seen churches absolutely thrive. You know, when I had to get up on a Sunday morning, whatever, and say, I'm so sorry, 
I have some really difficult news to share with you. And I have to share with them whatever that news is about their pastor and then say, but you know what? I really do believe that the best days of the church are in its windshield and not in its rearview mirror. Steve, I'm saying that through uh, years of experience. I'm saying that through history. I'm saying that because I've actually seen it happen. I've actually seen churches experience their best days after some of that stuff has happened. So it doesn't mean the church has to sit, has to cease existing and cease being a, a powerful player and impact player in its community. It doesn't mean that, nor does it mean that I have to leave the church. It, the best days of the church could still be in its in its windshield, in its future. I just need to believe that as a congregant and trust God in that. Please don't let the enemy win by taking me out just as he's, you know, taking the leader out. Chris, my friend, uh, Dan Webster told me a couple of weeks ago, he goes, even when the institution of God gets funky, the people of God are still beautiful. Amen. And that's, that's just a gift that I have taken with me as I try to process maybe some of my own disappointment and disillusionment to be able to say, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to critique. Uh, it's okay to challenge. It's okay yep. to rebuke the institution, yep. but never lose sight of the fact that the institution is supposed to represent the people and, and the, the people are beautiful when they're firing on all cylinders and, yep. and reflecting the heart of Jesus. Well, yeah, yeah. I love Dan Webster. I wish I was as concise as he is. So thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. Thank you for your passion for the church. Thanks for the great work that you're doing in the GLR and the gift that you have been to, to my personal family and my church family. Uh, keep doing what you do. Thank you, brother. And hey, love you and love what you're doing. And thanks so much again for the invitation to be here today. It's, an, it's quite an honor. Oh, it's my privilege. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. Thanks so much for being a part of the conversation. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.